0: Yo, Adam Siri, Steve Walker, Hard Work work Podcast. This is uh, number four, right? Yep, number four. Steve was uh, fortunate enough to have one of his buddies come in. You want to talk about him real quick? Yeah, good friend, Mike Milano. He's a class act and a classic guy.
1: Owner-operator of uh, North North County Wellness Dispensary. Coastal Wellness Dispensary? Coastal Wellness. Yes. Got it. A a local dispensary up in uh, Vista, healing everybody's ailments. So, yeah, super fun guy. It was so fun to have him. What a character. A a couple of thoughts. Man, what
0: a risk. Yeah, he, he, he put everything on the line, you know, starting this thing. And it wasn't even starting just a dispensary or business. He had to go get everything from the city approved. Yeah.
1: He had to create a market. Yes. You weren't even allowed to open a dispensary no. when, he, when he started unpacking this. So, yeah, it's, it's super inspiring having, having an idea and then having the, the gut check to say, all right, I'm going to go create this in Vista. I'm going to go talk to city council. I'm going to educate them on it.
0: I'm going to make it happen. And then going one step further, I'm going to raise money without even having a license in hand. Would you do that? <laughs> I wouldn't invest in something like that. <laughs> I can tell you that much. It, it, I, don't, I don't know if there's enough equity to even like the amount of risk associated with an investor in that world. That shows his, uh, his sales
1: acumen. Totally. Yeah. No, it, it's, it's incredible. So super fun story. And you know, he's, he's had to deal with, with lots of ups and downs through this process. Making that happen Creating
0: a market in Vista. Boom, COVID. Yep, COVID strikes, and then it's what do I do? Where do I go from now? How do I continue to, you know, keep money flowing in the door even though everything is being shut down around me?
1: Woo. Yeah.
0: Super fun. <clears throat> I think the other cool takeaway is,
1: you know, just dive in headlong, make changes, adapt. There was, a, there was a lot of adapting going on. So I, I, and that's another key takeaway is
0: get in, grind, adapt. Yep. And just like in any other business, uh, you know, one of the things that he had mentioned was talent. You know, he had to go find, bring over talent for other operators, from other operators that basically knew what they were doing when it comes to selling these types of products. Yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, he's got a, you know, a,
1: a long colorful, uh, experienced past in the flower business, right, in agriculture, about face. All right, now I'm going into retail.
0: Not quite related. <laughs> exactly. So he had to find some retail people that came over on board, and he basically said, that was a lifesaver for me, right? So he he spent all this time and energy, all this risk, goes and, and deals with this city Deals with the, you know, through City Hall, through the process of getting the licenses, which is a whole other story, which, you know, can't wait for the listeners to hear about. Gets it all set up and then goes, oh, shit, I don't know anything about retail. I'm going to go find somebody. Yeah. It, just, it shows you how many intricate parts of every part of the, the business world that you have to think about, right? And you have to figure out. So. Yeah. Now, yep, surround yourself with the right people. Can't do everything. Totally.
1: So yeah, it's, 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 it's a fun story and what a fun business. You know, we've talked to a, uh, data center guru followed up by a, uh, private jet guru. Now a marijuana guru.
0: Yep. This one's cool. Totally cool. Much cooler than my business. Can't wait for everybody to, uh, listen to it. Thanks for paying attention to the hard work podcast. All right. Till next time. Let's do it. Buckle up. Enjoy.
1: Welcome back to the Hard Work Podcast with one Adam Siri and Steve Walker. Super excited today. Good friend, entrepreneur extraordinaire, Mike Milano. Thanks for coming along. Hey, my pleasure. Thanks for having me.
0: Awesome. Real quick, you know, July 16th, Friday, we're uh, in Steve's office drinking, what are we drinking? Macallan? Some, uh, some table scots, some 12. T- some 12. Mike already mentioned that. Why aren't we having the 25? So
2: that's a great, I mean, come on. I drove all the way down here from, I know
0: Adam
1: drank it all last time he was here. Oh, fair <laughs> enough, fair enough. <laughs> awesome. All right, let's jump into it. Um, so, so Mike, let's, let's learn a little bit more about who you are, where you came from. Tell us a little bit about your past. So Mike Milano,
2: my past, uh, pretty much born and raised in, uh, North County, San Diego, well, sorry. Born in Riverside, moved to North County when I was two-ish. Grew up there. Went in the military. So, so you grew up in Oceanside? Oceanside, but right on the border of Fallbrook and Bonzel. So, although I lived in Oceanside, I went to school in Fallbrook, Bonzel, in that more rural setting. Yeah. And it was even more rural then. Way more rural than yeah. So pretty pretty out there. We used to ride horses and motorcycles everywhere. I could ride a trail from my house to the harbor on a
0: dirt bike up wow. the river. That's awesome. That was fun. You should have just bought every parcel yeah. of land on the way when you're when you're driving there. But yeah, that would have been a good idea. Yeah, we probably couldn't have got you for the podcast if you'd have done that. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> totally.
1: Awesome. So so your your family moved out there and what'd your family do?
2: So the, uh, the family had uh, is in ornamental cut flowers. So my grandfather came from Italy in the 20s, um, got in that business, and the business just grew. My dad went into that business. Uh, his plan was to do it short term. So he was in college getting his Ph.D. He was going to be a professor at Pica University. He went to UC Riverside, um, got a Ph.D. in plant pathology. Uh, my uncle who was working in the business asked him, Hey, can you help me out for a year? We want to get a, it was based in LA. We want to get a, a farming operation going down in San Diego. Turned out to be Oceanside. My dad said, yeah, I'll help you for a year or two get the, the, the original farm, which was 80 acres, I think up and running. Uh, my dad never left. Um, I worked there as a kid, um, in the fields, things like that. The day I turned 16, I went out and got a job somewhere else. Cause <laughs> I wasn't doing field labor. Hey, You're sick of. Living in the field? Living in the field. It was a great experience. I'm fluent in Spanish. Um, Other than that, I'd rather do something else. So I actually went, applied for a job at the Harbor Sweet Shop in Oceanside, the ice cream store at the beach, and worked there for a couple years in high school and I think a year in junior college. Ultimately was the manager of the Harbor Sweet Shop in Oceanside.
1: I'm sure the view is better there.
2: Oh my gosh, way better. And I also had a side business at the time. I started a landscaping company okay. randomly. So I had a landscaping company for about four years back in those days. And then uh, sold that when I moved to, well, I went in the Army. So I joined the Army Reserves and I went off to boot camp and military intelligence school.
0: So let's uh, talk about that. Why did you join the Army? What, what drove you there?
2: So I just always had a desire to go do something like that. And just kind of be like, okay, you see the TV commercials. So I'm like, oh, that looks cool. And I didn't have anybody in my family that had been in the military. But it was just something I'm like, you know what? I want to do that. I want to jump out of planes. I want to do the stuff that you see in the commercials.
0: Was that right out of high school?
2: Um, It was about a year out of high school. So I was going to actually Palomar Junior College when I enlisted. And so not knowing anything about the military. Because remember, we didn't have the internet back then. Like you really it was hard to like figure stuff out. I went to a recruiter, ended up talking me into becoming an intel analyst. Um, so I had to go through background checks, I had a top security clearance, all that stuff. So I did all that, and, but I was in an army reserve unit. So I, I was on active duty for six or eight months doing all the training, came back to a reserve unit and was going to transfer to Long Beach State to finish my bachelor's degree. When I got to Long Beach State, I decided to take a look at the ROTC program. So I actually joined up uh, the Cal State Long Beach ROTC program. Uh, when I finished college at Long Beach, I became a, I got commissioned as an officer, and I went into the combat arms. So I went from intel to infantry. So I was an infantry officer on active duty in the Tenth uh, Mountain Division. So I did that for three, four years, and then uh, got out. And when I got out, I wasn't sure what I was going to do. I was did you act- do a couple tours. I did deploy into uh, well, I so. The 10th Mountain was heavily involved in Mogadishu and Somalia. Okay, uh, I was not in Somalia. We had another battalion there when Black Hawk Down happened. So we had uh, one of our battalions in combat there. Um, I happened to be training out in the field, and they called us in to deploy us. So they sent one when that battle started. They sent a battalion, like a QRF battalion, into the into the fight. My battalion was at the air. We were the next ones to go. And at the last minute, they didn't send us into that fight. Uh, The luck of the draw. (laughs) You know, that was a mess over there, actually. Uh, It it still is a mess over there. Yeah, it still is. uh, uh, Then we ended up going into Haiti months later um, to overthrow the dictator there. Um, So I spent five months there. That was a mess, too, by the way. Um, But then I did that, got out. My plan was to look at national intelligence, so I was looking at the DIA and the CIA to to go back to the intel stuff, more on the operations side. Um, my wife at the time was sort of like, you know, you've been doing this now for X, Y, Z years. It's very hard on families when you're out young, 20-something-year-old, yeah. like chasing adrenaline.
1: When you're not there.
2: Yes. Yeah. And so, you know, I was like, okay, fair enough. And my dad had already been saying, my dad and my uncles were like, Hey, we need people. Do you want to come to the business? Um, and I said, you know, I'll try it. Um, so I left the service, which I was planning to do and went that direction. Um, worked there took, uh, I had worked there as a kid, so I had a very good understanding of a lot of the operations. So I took over as like a supervisor in one of the warehouses later made was a warehouse manager later started, ran a division later, um, became the CEO. And that company, we have farming operations in Carlsbad, California, Oceanside, California, very large farms, hundreds of acres in cultivation. And then we have multiple wholesale distribution facilities where we would sell to, like out in Vegas, we have a facility where we sell to the hotels and event companies. Um, We sell to cruise ship companies, retail florists, supermarkets, things like that. So I did that.
1: How's that being your dad's boss?
2: (laughs) Well, actually, by the time I was a CEO, he was already retired.
1: Oh, okay. So I actually worked for the board
2: as the CEO, obviously, and our board was comprised of half family members and half outside directors. Got it. And so, you know, there is the family dynamics involved, yep. obviously, which can be a big challenge. Um, there is some upside to that as well, but it's
0: mostly downside in my opinion, I mean, <laughs> yeah, well, to, to be fair. For, for Mike, he just goes, every month your dad gets a check, you just go, you're welcome, dad.
2: Yeah, it, rent checks, because they still owned all the land. So the income stream from the business was the rent that we would pay on the land. There you go. So that's how that was structured. But, you know, it was a decent business. I mean, I enjoyed it. Um, It just, as cannabis started to become a thing, and this is probably going back now to 15, I started to, like, look at cannabis as an option. Me, never had smoked weed in my life, didn't care if people did or didn't. Just wasn't a thing for me. Didn't even have, I I used to think that medical efficacy of cannabis was complete bullshit. I just thought people wanted to get high, no problem, I used to drink, so whatever. As I started doing research in it, I'm like, wait a minute, there is some efficacy of this. So I started to come at it from a little bit different perspective. And then as the laws were changing in California was shifting from its old Prop 215 model to the MACURSA law, the medical commercial medical laws. And then the the dialogue started around legalization for adult use and recreational around Prop 64. So to me, that was the opening for this is gonna be a huge business.
0: Did it have anything to do with your company's like flower business history, like kind of like, you know, same same environment, right? Kind of growing flowers versus the whole- Very similar versus growing flowers. Versus, yeah. Different type of flower.
2: Cannabis plant. What you smoke on the cannabis plant is a flower, so it it is right up that organization's core competencies.
0: So you're like, I, I, I get this. I can figure this out. I can scale it. I I understand how to scale ag. And at the
2: yeah, it's it's. I can do that in my sleep. So you pair that with a a higher dollar crop like cannabis. Yep. To me, it seemed like the perfect fit. Um, I was the CEO of the company at the time. With our climate. This is, I mean, particularly Oceanside, because inland Oceanside has a little microclimate that is amazing. It's low humidity, but still very temperate. We don't have to deal with mold and mildew issues that you would typically have to deal with. Like some of those grows in Monterey and Ventura, they have a lot of issues with powdery mildew, mold, things like that. In Oceanside, we don't have that. But because you
0: still get moisture.
2: We do get enough, but not enough to have the issues. Got it. Another five miles inland, it's too hot. Yeah. So it's like a perfect little microclimate. So so I thought it was a great idea, presented it to our board as an idea. They were not interested in it.
1: Um in the meantime, I was was there pressure inside of Milano to grow, or how was the business doing like what? Like what made you look at this option? Uh there's always pressure to increase sales in any business. And of
2: course Milano, we had, you know, there's organic sales, there's acquisition sales, there's new markets, there's You know, so I was looking at all those options. Um, I saw this as an opportunity to be a new business line, subsidiary entity, separate company, and maybe create some brands around our organic original branding Mm -hmm. um, was sort of the concept. Now, nobody really knew this at the time. I had started growing myself because I wanted to understand how it worked. I'd never even seen a canvas plant, really. So I went out, went to one of those hydro stores, and I said to the lady behind the counter, I said, hey, where can I find some tomato plants? Yeah. And she said, well... Air, air quotes. Yeah. Air quote, tomato plants. And she's like, well, we're not really allowed to talk about stuff like that here. And I said, well, you know, if you were allowed to talk about it, like, who would you <laughs> send me to? <laughs> and Hypothetical. She
0: goes, yeah. As you, as you slap her a $20 bill. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so I did a round or two with her on, well, if you could talk about it, like... And she finally was like, call this, call this person. So I called somebody. I bought some plants, stuck them in my avocado grove um 12 plants, like right? Prop 215 legal medical grow, yep. And it was a disaster because I didn't know how to grow them. Then I started reading, learning. Um didn't tell anybody. Not a single person knew that I was doing this because I just didn't want people to know what I was doing. Even though it was legal under Prop 215, I was just like still stigmatized back in 1516-ish. Yep. So then I figured it out, put up a couple greenhouses um, started growing that way. This is all in your backyard? I live on eight acres in rural Vista okay. County. And so is in the middle of my avocado grove. Got it. And uh, presented an option for Milano Enterprises to maybe set up a subsidiary enterprise to go after this business. They were not really interested in it. Um, in fact, they thought it was a pretty bad idea. And so I thought about it for a while.
1: I'm sure in a family business, they were very... Yeah, Gentle wide, in their delivery.
2: <laughs> wide open to that new, <laughs> I mean, like what an opportunity, right? I could see this is going to be a massive industry in California. And it, we, we're still at the tip of the iceberg, right? So, you know, long story short, I decided to leave the business, stay on only as a director, and um, go after cannabis. And what I, I needed to, you know, increase my income, supplement my income now, because I just gave up a pretty good job. Yep. And so I did some consulting. I did a little cannabis consulting, believe it or not, even though I didn't know what I was doing in cannabis because I had business experience. People liked that I was dabbling in cannabis and they liked the large scale ag component that I had as my background. So did that as I spun up my Let's back
1: up on that that decision to leave. Like was that a two-week decision? Was that a six month? Was that a I've had it, I'm doing it, I'm taking my goldfish with me.
2: I made that decision very quickly. Um, but I did talk to my coaches at the time, um, Ivy, another coach that I used at the time and said, what do you guys think about this? Is this insane? Cause I pretty much already decided to do it. And they're like, no, I think that's a good decision for you. And so I ran it off a couple people. Um, and then again, can I spin up my little play around grow into something substantial enough to replace income, which I did. So I put up a grow room, I built a 16 light grow room right in the middle of my grove. Um and I set up a collective. It was a legal Prop 215 medical grow under the collective umbrella. Um did that. And that's what I wanted to learn. I wanted to learn how to do this stuff. Because my original vision for what I was going to do was I was going to s- focus solely on cultivation because I had the background in cultivation already. Yep. And um of course, we all know when you have a business idea, you have to adjust it on the fly, which is what I did. I saw the opportunity to go into retail, and I said, hey, if I can have the production end and the retail end, that's where the value is. Everything in the middle is easy to do, and, and that is how it's turned out. It's really easy to get manufacturing licenses. It's really easy to get distribution licenses in cannabis. All the licenses in the middle, you can get them almost anywhere that it's allowed. Cultivation and retail, they're very hard to do, very hard to get. And that's where the value is. Yep. So I started pursuing retail. And that's where I am now with one operating dispensary, multiple licenses in process in other cities, Ventura, Chico. Um, I'm, I'm doing joint ventures with a couple other companies. So
1: I have things happening in other cities as well. And uh, well, we're, we're going to talk about all the cool things you're doing now, but just back it up a few steps. So you went from, all right, I'm out of here. And I'm, I'm sure that was an interesting discussion with your father. Maybe we should unpack that for a minute. What did your dad say? He actually was very supportive of it, believe it or not. Well, that's awesome. He, that's great.
2: So, you know, some people, some of the stakeholders at Milano were not. They're like, it's illegal. I can't believe you're doing something like that. Um, don't tie the our company name to it. Do we need <laughs> to, like, pass rules to prohibit you from doing? like? And I said... Can you please change your last name? Stuff like that. Yeah. So, um, yeah, but... It is what it is, and but my my dad was very supportive of it. He said, "Look, it's legal now." It, he saw the right. He's like, "Look, the day after they made they ended prohibition, you're not going to go in the liquor business. Of course you are. If you have an opportunity to do it, yep." And so that was kind of his mindset,
0: and uh, so I went after it financially. Where were you at, at that point in your life? Number one, and then number two, you know, going through the process of understanding that yes, this is something that I can. I can do right. Mm -hmm. You started growing stuff in your, in your avocado farm. When did you go, I need to build a business. And how did you go about raising capital and and making that happen?
2: Well, the original intent was to replace my income and learn to, to do the small grow. I had always intended to scale and, and get the, the, the local license approved, et cetera. Um, So I, I, you know, I, I, I put my first focus on replacing the income. So get my growth scaled enough that I can replace my income. And I did that through my little cannabis collective, also some consulting. And um, so once I felt that took a few months to stabilize, right? Um, Financially, you know, I've been divorced twice, so I still got to work. And I was fine financially, but still, you know, are you, when you have that kind of overhead, you know, my personal overhead is very low. But my obligations yeah. are a little bit higher. You have three overheads. Mm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, but whatever. It is what like, I, I, I just went after it. And I didn't even worry about the risk I took. Because I did take a substantial, in retrospect, yeah. I took a substantial risk personally. And I was just like, whatever. Like, I always figure stuff out. And so, I'm like, I'll figure this out too. And I did. Stressful. Um, sometimes I think... That when I look back a few years ago, had I known how difficult this was going to be, would I have made the decision I made? And I don't know the answer to that because I, I always underestimate risk, right? Like, ah, that'll be easy. Um, and it never is, right? It, especially
0: building businesses. I think I think that's everyone's look back, right? If I would have known how hard this was, right, I don't know if I would have done it. But retrospect is—I'm so glad you, I did. You're glad you did. Yeah. I'm, so yeah, yeah, gl- yeah. I'm so glad yeah, I did. Yeah. Good thing. Good thing I was dumb enough. Good yeah. thing
1: I was—I was
2: naive enough to think this was going to be not that hard. Yeah. yeah.
0: Um, and my wife had no idea when I was selling her the plan how hard this would be either. Well, I so, didn't have one of those at the time, so it was a
2: little I didn't I didn't have to sell it to anybody but me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so you make that you make the decision, and then it's you know you, you start this little independent consulting business. When did the, the light go off of, hey, I want to scale this to the next level, and what did it take to get there?
2: So as the state rules were changing, and we weren't sure how those state rules were going to come out, and, and to be perfectly honest with you, the state cannabis rules change almost every month. So it it's a full-time job to to stay in compliance with state BCC rules. Uh, cities always pass their own rules as well. They don't change as quickly, so it's a little bit easier to stay in compliance, But there's a lot of regulatory stuff going on. So that's where I started first. How is this business going to be regulated? What are the hurdles that I have to get over to start growing weed legally in, say, the city of Oceanside? What do I have to solve? Number one on that list was you had to – because what happened, when when Prop 64 passed, cities had two choices, three choices. Do nothing and state law applies in the city.
0: What's Prop sixty four, real quick? That was the listeners.
2: that was the rule that allowed for adult use cannabis. The ballot initiative that allowed for adult use cannabis in in uh, California.
1: Got
0: it. And, and when was that
1: passed?
2: Oh, I want to say eighteen. Was that seventeen or eighteen? I can't remember. If, it, it, it's been a few years now, but it it was about a year after I jumped into it. And I it, got it. it. We knew it was coming, and they had already redone the medical rules through the legislation of McCurso, which was the medical can't, commercial cannabis blah 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 act i can't remember what it was called so all those rules that they were either passing or that were coming via ballot initiative said that cities could either just accept state rule and let the businesses operate under state law pass their own regulations to upregulate and pass taxes etc locally which you see encinitas is in, in the middle of or ban it outright 99% 99% of the cities and counties in the state within a month or two of that banned just, all, just can- went street ban. Ban all cannabis activity. So what's the challenge? I got to go convince the city council of Oceanside to lift their ban and allow what I was trying to do was cultivation.
1: And were there other counties and, and other grows that you had visited and talked to and you're trying to emulate as you build out? what is this going to cost what is the revenue associated with it like how are you yeah so i was doing financial modeling i went up to um
2: santa isabel indian reservation and they had a cannabis compound up there and there was a grower a, a, a guy they still operate up there it's called palomar craft cannabis um what and i got to know those guys because in part of the the convincing the city council to allow cultivation of cannabis we did a tour up there i got so i got oceanside city to create a cannabis working group to study it I, and I was also doing a similar thing in the county with the Farm Bureau. So we were working with the county to allow county um, cultivation and City of Oceanside to allow city. So parallel pass. Um, back then, if you had made a $10,000 bet with me, I would have bet you ten grand we were going to be successful in the county and not successful in the city. The exact opposite happened. So that tells you how smart I am. So <laughs> we, the but, county but for band. The, for the and, City of
0: Oceanside, is it just a tax revenue play? I mean what do they get out of this right
2: they want to preserve the morrow hills section of oceanside and preserve the ag land there so the the play and it's all true hey traditional ag is harder and harder to stay competitive yeah. most of the farmers have way more upside to sell their dirt to yeah. turn it into houses yeah but if we have this this is financially viable the farms can continue to operate so that was the, the message and it's a great message it's actually a true message and uh they bought into that. So we were able to get a majority of the city council to allow for the, the, the use, the licensed cultivation of cannabis in the Got city. It. Now, to, originally they wanted to put us indoors. Oh, you can only do an indoor grows, indoor grows. And I said, no, no, no. This climate's perfect. Like, why would we burn all that energy the business parks in Oceanside are already overfull with so so now there's no warehouses to rent to yeah. like it, it just didn't make sense so I yeah
1: took, there's already it, no vacancy yeah, as it is yeah it's hard to find a space there so yeah, it's like it's, it's the opposite of green to go gr- to go to grow green indoors in Oceanside it doesn't make any that's sense that's exactly I said
2: we're gonna burn so much electricity and my my optics on cannabis is in not in the near future indoor cultivation is going to be uncompetitive is it's about $900 a pound to produce high-quality cannabis flour indoors. In a mixed-light, high-end mixed-light facility like they have up at Palomar Craft Cannabis at Santa Isabel, like I'm going to build in Oceanside, you're around three dollars or $400 a pound for very similar quality. The economics
1: of that are obvious. Yeah, that's that's not a little difference.
0: Yeah, it's huge.
2: Yes, and the utility rates in California are only going up. Yep. Up, up, and up, and that's one of the major cost drivers in cultivation is electricity cost.
1: Yep. It's just like the data center business.
2: Absolutely, Very similar. Yeah. You move them to where the power's cheap power's and, the, cheap. and the, the climate's cool so you can, can circulate. And Yeah. Yep.
1: Uh-huh. Interesting. So all of this is coming. You're a change agent pulling on the farmer's heartstrings that are making decisions. hmm You get them to say yes to the dress or, or yes. walk us through that?
2: Yeah. We got, it was vote by vote. So I would meet with the uh, council members. And, you know, say, hey, show them, show them what the opportunity was. Um, they, They got them to create the study group. And me and another friend of mine, Joel, we helped them basically write the ordinance and got it in front of council. And believe it or not, we got it to pass. And so that was a that was a really big win for us. To yeah, get. that's
0: a huge moment.
2: Yeah, and it was like I had deployed investor capital. Yeah, I had taken a lot of risk, my own money, investor capital, and I'm like, oh, man, I hope this works out.
1: You'd already raised money.
2: I raised a little bit of money. Yeah,
1: be, just just be, a few hundred thousand. Just before they they had passed anything. Yes, that's exciting.
2: Well, and, and so you know, I'm pitching this to investors. This is a, a, a huge risk, right? I had a backup plan, right? If this failed, I would move to another city, but still. And back then, it was costing us a couple hundred grand, two, three hundred thousand to put these applications together, because they're not simple applications. You've got lots of engineering work, security, everything. Now we do them for a hundred-ish, because we've streamlined the process, and and even less in some instances. But back then, I mean, you're taking a big risk, and then then the city at the last minute made it competitive, where they were only going to issue five licenses.
1: And this is specifically for the GROW? Yes. Yep.
2: And so then that's what cities do is they make this competitive. And so I'm like, okay, well I can compete. And I ended up getting the yeah. highest scoring application in the city. Yeah, because you wrote it. I basically. Yeah, yeah. That helps. Does help. So, but you know, we got it done. And then I immediately had an opportunity to work in Vista politically. So most cities in North County had bans, still have bans. Uh, we worked with City Council in Vista for retail. They said no. Um, we did a ballot initiative and. The ballot initiative was for only medical because when we started the initiative process in the city, the, the Prop 64, the state Prop 64 that allowed for adult use had not passed yet. So you can't. So we submitted, we got it passed, had to go through a pretty long process to get our licenses in Vista. And then, you know, it takes a year or two. Once you get a license, it takes a year to, to get opened. And then I opened
1: So, so walk us through that. Uh, How many people applied for this license? Like, what does that licensing process look like? City
2: of Vista was going to issue eleven licenses, and they had about I think it was thirty four or thirty six applications. And the original, the way the ordinance was originally passed on the ballot, it was first come first serve. So, first license in gets reviewed if you meet all the requirements and nothing th- gets your license your application disqualified you get a license. So,
1: so so are you camping out at the court steps like you're going to a Britney Spears
2: concert? We did in fact put a plan together Danny Wise and I worked together Danny Wise Cake Enterprises to we at it was one in the morning, about two weeks before this the application period. We showed up on City Hall and set up a pop up and start a line. Two wow. weeks, two weeks out. <laughs> so we we actually created a sign that looked like it was an official city sign, and stuck it there that said, "This is the official Measure Z submittal line," and sat in line. And obviously, we hired people to help with it all, but it was quite a little operation. Now, so was
0: somebody there present for two
2: weeks straight? Uh, we, was, or did you just have like a... Uh, no, no. We had warm bodies no, on the ground. for two weeks. <laughs> two weeks. And so here's the funny thing. Did people thing. start
0: lining up? They started
2: copying us. We, we had deals and we had the first four spots tied up. We had... I was in space three. like guy in space one, guy in space two, three, and there was a guy in four. And then people just started showing up because it started to get in the news and um, I think when we were done, there was like 57 people in line behind us. Now, the city did not like that. So about 2 in the morning on night 1, city code enforcement shows up and tries to throw us off. He's like, this is private property. And I had all the printouts. I'm like, well, sir, you know, city hall is public property. And I'm, I'm absolutely, he's like, only during business hours, I said, show me in the rules where it says that. Well, it doesn't say that. They actually called the sheriff over. So I'm sitting there talking to three sheriffs, and I'm like, are you gonna arrest me? They're like, no. I said, what like we, we're allowed to be here. I had obviously confirmed it with the lawyers and everything. And uh, but they did not like it. And so like they're, they're like, Well, you're camping. I said, We're not camping, we're sitting in a chair. Like, there's there's a definition for camping in case you guys want to know. <laughs> and um, it's in a tent with a floor. So a pop-up actually doesn't even count as camping because it doesn't have walls and a floor.
0: No floor. No floor,
2: it's not camping.
0: So so if you, if you wouldn't have done that, would, it, would anybody else, I mean, it, it obviously reserved your spot, number one. You, you created this. Oh, no, it
2: didn't. Let me, I'll finish that story. Okay,
0: go ahead. So
2: about five days into this line project, the city published a process by which they were going to select applications. And they called it a randomized, they, they said it, no, it was a random selection process. Well, that was in violation of the ballot measure. The ballot measure clearly stated it was first come, first serve. Yep. So they said effectively they were going to do a lottery system. So they came out and said, you don't have to stay here. Here's our new process. We said, well, we're going to stay here um, because that's in violation of Measure Z. We did an emergency whatever, whatever, to get in front of a judge to, to prohibit the city from doing a lottery. And the judge ruled in our favor. He said, yes, this is unlawful. However, there's no recourse because you haven't been harmed by it yet. So they, they, allot- yes.
0: So you'd have to wait for it for you not to get selected to, not to get it and go would. back and sue
2: them, which is impossible, right? Yeah. Cause you, you don't change the past in this stuff. So we fought that ended up losing, uh, but every one of us that was in that, that started, we all got licenses in the random selection process. So it, there's video because all the news outlets were there that day, and we're sitting in that room. The applicants, I was actually sitting next to Will Urban, the owner of Urban Leaf, and I was sit To my left was Will. To my right was Danny. Um, Danny actually got one, but his he's got thrown out. His building got disqualified, oh. so he didn't get the license. He has one now. We ended up doing an acquisition.
0: So so the so the morning comes, they let everybody in what is it? The county courthouse or whatever? City Hall. City Hall. City so, Hall. They, they, so everyone just gathers in City Hall and they randomly start selecting who it is it was right there? It was
2: the most bizarre scene. The only person that could go in the room was the applicant. Okay. He had to go in that room with a $10,000 application fee, cashier's check, and a $100,000 cashier's check to demonstrate financial ability to execute. So we turned over our big application booklet that was about a four-inch thick binder and two cashier's checks, about 110 k and then we went and sat in a chair. And they, they received all those applications and all those things, and we sat there, and then this lady comes up, and she puts this big, fat, puffy blindfold on her face, and they had like this, <laughs> like, they, they had a bingo ball. In Welcome the, to California. Oh my gosh, it was a trip. And so she's spinning this bingo ball pay us, thing, Pay
0: us money and uh, see what happens. And she literally reaches in there and starts pulling out
2: numbers and i'm just like i look over at will and i'm like is this really happening and we just laughed and so and and how many how many numbers were in that bingo jar 36 okay and they need they, the, they now they pulled them all like to get a sequence of submittal yep so i actually was pulled number 9 so I, I'm like, that was one of the happiest moments of my life because I'm sitting there stressing and he pull, they pull one out. It's not me. They And, pulled and two. how much
1: money did you raise at that point? I was in it for like
2: 500K probably between everything I had done. So I, and probably a couple hundred of my money and 500K of investor money. Based off of a lottery. Based off of a, like me trying to pull this off. So it's kind of an important moment. It was an important moment. Did you start I, crying? No, I was. Stressed. I would have started crying. Yeah. I was so stressed. I'm
1: almost about to start crying. <laughs> and
2: I, I was so, like, I, I, they pulled my number out, number nine. And I was like, thank God. And I, and Will had got pulled out at like seven. So he had already got one in Vista. And I'm like, I'm like, fuck you, Will. You already got three dispensaries. Like, I don't even have one. And so then they pulled mine out and he looked over and laughed. And this, I said to him, I'm like, hey, you want to buy a dispensary in Vista? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, and then, you know, we went through the day. They pulled all the way to number 34. I ended up as number three because, all those ahead of me were disqualified for one reason or another. Like, improper this document. I mean, because that was a thing, too. Like, the quality of what you submit matters. Um, There was a woman that showed up that day to try to... She said, oh, I want to submit an application for a cannabis dispensary. Where do I get the form?
1: Like, like she just showed up to the DMV. Where's
0: the form? The counter? And
2: and we were all standing there after being there for almost two weeks going,
0: okay. Lady...
2: Yeah. just turn around. <laughs> Pretty much. It was funny though. Uh, yeah. But yeah, so got that license, and then that was that. I mean,
0: execution, build it out, get it going. Um, it's a great story. So, so, so walk us through that. So you get the license, you immediately are, are eligible to start business, right? Well, you have to submit plans, uh, you know, building
2: plans, tenant improvement, all, all the normal stuff you would have to do, which is got it. And, you know, that all takes time. Yep. So you have to go in that, the planning timeline. So I started, the, you know, the building I, I had used was occupied so that the, the existing tenant was leaving. So I had to wait for the existing tenant to leave. But while I was waiting for that, I was doing plans and permits and everything, building permits, tenant improvement stuff. So we were doing all that. We started the project. And,
1: and at this point, are you, are you you are you in it for
2: raising more money or? No, I'd already covered. So I raised another 500 to do... The execution,
0: got it. So you know I, that was once you have a license, it's pretty easy to raise money, right? And just as for the entrepreneurs out there, we don't need specific numbers, but did you how much of your company do you have to give away for that initial? It sounds like you've raised a million dollars at this point. 500 yeah, so I raised, raised five hundred.
2: Yeah, I raised five hundred on a four million dollar valuation, which I use future discounted cash flow modeling for that valuation. This um, is, and this is pre
0: licensed Pre license. Nice. so you, so got, you had a four, $4 million dollar value without a license.
2: Uh-huh. Well, that was that was conservative. There were there were people out raising money on hundred million dollar valuations with air, and I was the, I, the, the Shark Tank uh, valuation. It's Crazy stuff, right? And so I thought it was reasonable, actually, for you know, and those original investors are gonna do very very well, which and they should. Yep. And then I raised the next um, round on a fifteen million dollar valuation. So I raised just another five hundred k on a fifteen.
0: As Sorry. soon as you won the lotto
2: as soon as I won that because I needed that
0: money to execute it's an 11 million dollar uh, ball that she picked yeah with a the, with the puffy pink pretty much Yeah, I would have started blindfolds I was so happy that like I
2: literally was like I can't believe this just happened because you know when you're working on something for a couple of years now right and you come down to such a pivotal moment and it works out for you holy shit that's a good feeling
1: oh man okay so so fast forward <coughs> you're building it out Get, get an inventory, which is probably a, a fun, you know, you, know you, you taste cakes when you try to get married. And I'm sure when you're filling up the, the dispensary, well, you have to.
2: I didn't know. So here's the thing. I didn't know anything about executing a retail dispensary at that time. I had a license and I had raised money. So oh, randomly, a friend of mine's like, oh, I know this girl that runs dispensaries in Vista. I'm like, oh, what's her name? Hook me up. So I meet who's now my general manager. And I said, listen, Amy, I don't know anything about retail cannabis. I know a lot about business. I know a lot about large scale ag businesses. I have absolutely no idea how to fucking do a retail business of <laughs> any type. And she's like, I do. I said, do you want to work for me? She said, I'd love to. So this is about a year. This is right after I got the license. Yep. And I said, oh, here's the other thing. I don't have any money to pay you right now, but I need help. Um, and I probably can't pay you for like a year. And she's like, that's all right. So she was like in it from the beginning, right? And then helped out immensely with all that stuff. I handled the project, the construction, all the other stuff she handled. Supply chain, vendors, product mix, employees. Most of our employees are people worked for her in the past. So she knew, okay, this is a good Person, this is a good person. So,
1: what what are what are some of the job titles for those that don't know the so dispensary? A
2: retail cannabis employee is called a bud tender. So she hired all the bud tenders. Um, she does all our purchasing still.
1: What a great title!
2: What a great title! And it's not hard to you know everybody's complaining about how hard it is to find employees right now in this COVID world. It's not hard to find employees in bud, cannabis. Bud tenders are. They're, they love it. And, and we have a great team, actually. I mean, part of, part of this is you want to be around people that do you Do the like.
0: bud tenders get, uh, like, in any restaurant, do they get, like, free meals?
2: So they get a lot of samples from vendors.
0: Got it. And then we have a policy that
2: employees purchase product at cost. So I don't mark up. In most places, we'll give an employee discount. I, our discount is they pay cost. Got so it. they love that.
1: So walk, walk <clears> us through <throat> the timing of opening. Oh, yeah.
2: So after all this raising money, stress, getting laws changed, getting ballot initiatives changed, I'm like on top of the world. I think I'm in. I'm like I'm in. I'm unstoppable. Nobody's going to get me like I'm going to be like Pablo Escobar here pretty soon. I'll probably have a jet in like a month. You know, that's my confidence level at the time.
0: <laughs> I love it. That's the next step. Yeah. Open and then private jet. That's, yeah. yeah,
1: that's exactly right.
0: I thought you did promise me a ride on that jet.
1: I'm, I can't wait.
2: Yeah, I have a couple of friends with them, so maybe I can bring you along those trips. Yeah, we gotta, We have a guy for
1: that,
0: don't we? Steve? Yeah,
2: yeah you, you we all know jet guys. <laughs> um I think I'll probably keep it that way too. I no matter how much I sell this business for, I'll probably just borrow a jet.
1: Personally. It's better to know a friend with a jet yeah, than have a jet. and a boat, and, and a boat. boat. <laughs>
2: um but yeah, so I'm like this is great. I was so excited. This and this, we we opened the business and the whole COVID thing was already starting. Um I was I was I was tracking COVID actually in October, November, because I follow a lot of global stuff on Twitter. It keeps me in a non-filtered, like, data. It's like non-filtered data that you can get because we all know the media is all a narrative and mostly bullshit, right? So, you know, to get real information of what's happening globally, Twitter for me is the best source. You find reliable sources on the ground in the places that stuff is happening and you see what's happening there. So it's on your radar. It's on my radar, but I'm like, hmm... I'm like, how big is this going to go? Like, how much are they going to push this PSYOP on us? And, I mean, I have an intelligence background, right? So, it was very clear early on that this was a fucking PSYOP. And this might be censored. Maybe you can bleep, bleep that out, but...
1: No, no, that's, that's, that's the next podcast. We'll have you back for this. I mean, come on.
2: People falling in the streets? I mean, come on. Like, honestly. Remember those videos we were being shown? Yeah. Yeah, that's all fucking nonsense. And it was nonsense then. So anyways, we but I get the shop. I'm tracking this and I'm like, all right. So open the shop.
1: On what what day?
2: We opened on February 27th of 2020. Wow.
0: Yes. That is like right
2: in. Yes. So I had a brilliant my location was not optimal. It was my third choice because what I didn't mention is the other thing the city was doing beyond changing the selection process is just randomly adding sensitive uses to the list. So we had a list of sensitive uses that you had to have setbacks from in cannabis, which was basically the state requirement and a couple others. Well, the city started throwing in, oh, this is a sensitive use. You got to be 600 feet away from this. Oh, you got to be 600 feet away from this. 600 feet, not door to door, lot line to lot line, which is now turns it into like a thousand twelve hundred feet from a lot of things. So very challenging. My first two buildings that were very good retail site buildings were disqualified. So I'm in my third spot that's in an industrial park. Now, the upside there is there's a lot of traffic over there during the workday, and there's about 20 breweries within, yep. you know, a half a mile of my location. So I'm like brewery traffic, m- midday work traffic, a lot of activity over there in that Sycamore corridor. Um, between Carlsbad and Vista, yeah, and so I'm like, "This is gonna work, no problem." So open up, and if as I thought, brewery traffic was coming in, all this stuff, then the politics of COVID started spinning up, and then they start talking about two weeks to flatten the curve. We might have to close for two weeks. All the rhetoric around all that stuff, and then you know they they did the lockdown, and we we got confirmation about I I. I wasn't going to close my business.
1: Right, either way. So, but so it, you, you went from burning a ton of cash, opening this thing up, getting licenses. This is what two a, a year and a half long process. About about yeah.
0: So you to you open get, it up for what three weeks, two and a half weeks, two
2: and a half weeks, and then with threat of maybe having to close down and then being shut down.
0: How much cash had
1: you burned at that point? A million.
2: Nice. No, probably eight because I had a I had a couple hundred left, so eight. But I was like, oh, we'll be cash flowing, and I knew the how I had modeling of how this would spin up on the cash flow standpoint. So, I modeled to be cash flow positive in about three or four months, which we were in three weeks. In we were on track for that, like no problem. We probably would have beat that. And eight. then they they want to flatten the curve. And then we got to flatten the curve so we all don't die. And so I'm like, I'd rather die.
0: <laughs> so. <laughs> How does that happen at that point? You know, I know like, for instance, restaurants started delivering cocktails or takeout cocktails. Could you guys do anything like online or like so delivery? we we first try to of get all, creative we, with anything that you were doing?
2: Well, first of all, we stayed open. And there was talk is, oh, they're going to only allow you to do curbside or delivery is a whole nother license.
0: Which Got it. You don't have.
2: I don't have. I can get one. I did not have one at the time. So plus logistics of delivering cannabis, it's it's a... You know, there's no money in that. No money in regulated cannabis delivery unless you operate at very large scale. So I was like, okay, let's see what they let us do. Um, I had already decided that, regardless, if we were allowed to stay open in any capacity, I was going to stay open as a retail store Um, because I was low profile enough that who's going to notice, right? And if the city comes over to complain, I'm like, oh, my bad. Like, okay, I'll fix it. And then just not um but anyways we were allowed to stay open but the problem was that entire part of the city became
0: yeah. like abandoned all, like all abandoned. that all that all that foot traffic you were referencing gone yeah all the breweries probably gone. half of those are probably gone
2: now gone gone yep. businesses gone the traffic in those business parks gone one night i was working and it was me danny and sometimes amy that's it like we were just grinding it out like sometimes i was working 15 hours a day seven days a week for an extended period of time. Um, And one night I walked up to the, it was raining and I walked up to this intersection of Sycamore and La Mirada where my business park is. And Sycamore is six lanes and it's always busy. There was no car to be seen. I could have laid in that street and then maybe every 10 or 15 minutes, some random car comes by. So I'm like, Oh, this is not good. And the media did a lot of publication of cannabis businesses doing really well because for that week, just like supermarkets, people yep. mobbed us, so we had a really good week, and then
0: it just died. Yeah, they just got inventory to yep. last them for a month. Or yeah, they got their toilet lasted. paper and yeah, their- it was all the
2: same stuff. And so medicine, we, they were anticipating we close, we we're going to close. So you know, everybody got a little bump, and then cannabis took a big hit. Um, people don't talk about it; they say no, but like some of the shops, I mean, the fact that I took a little hit and then started slowly growing again was pretty good, actually. And, uh, but some of the established shops that I know of did had 50% sales decreases for a period of time
1: when that happened, depending on yeah, where they were, they were already established,
2: they were established. And, they, and let, let me said, guess,
1: you weren't, you, you didn't qualify for, uh, the PPP program. No, I tried. I did
2: try. <laughs> I did try for that. There, there was no aid programs or anything that we could. You apply, went to the wrong
0: place, dude. <laughs> um, no, that's a joke. You anyway. Know. So, so how long did it take you to get out of the COVID scenario? I mean, obviously, you guys stayed open. We uh, stayed open. Did and, and you just and dribble along the bottom for a while and then figure you know, it out? Did we, you reinvent yourself? What did you have to do to get, get through that?
2: We, we just we, we changed a little bit of our marketing. Um, we tried up some things. Um, I really zeroed in and got really schooled up on Google and Google business and how to, because here's the thing yeah. um, old school weed guys are like weed maps, weed map, weed maps. But the only people that are on weed maps are old school weed consumers. The new consumers are not on Weed Maps. They're on Google, and so I'm like, okay, let me dial this in. So I hired a company to
1: yeah, because if you're on Weed Maps, that means you smoke too much weed.
0: Yeah, you're going for everybody and we are
2: still obviously on weed maps
0: yep
1: the most of our business
2: comes from so i dialed that in to drive my google traffic weed
0: weed maps is like a google tracker for dispensaries weed
2: maps is an old school app from back in the day where people find dispensaries okay like back in the black market days okay and there's a couple out there still that are for black market but the mainstream leafly and weed maps are the two primary weed listing apps and weed maps um Again, it's like number five in traffic generating for my business, where number one is um, Google. And so I, I played with all that stuff. We, we, we modified, we would do some events, but business picked up. So, you know, there was the COVID, the, the initial COVID two weeks that I think we're still in, or maybe we're not, I can't remember. Um, and then all of the mass and the, these protocols and all these protocols that we were supposed to do. And I mean, I didn't, I did minimal. I didn't put up all those barriers. I'm like, it's a, you know, a plexiglass thing ain't stopping a virus, right? Come on. So I just kept my business as normal as I could um, and we just operated. And then uh, as last, so in the summer, like after spring, you know, it started to warm up. And, you know, if you track the metrics of COVID in the county, they were never much and they still have never been much. It was, but- you know, I tracked that very closely. People became more comfortable coming out. Some of the breweries opened, like outside opened. So, so about half of them started to reopen. The business park traffic still has not come back to what it was, but it has increased. And then we went through that whole thing. And then, believe it or not, they locked us down again, right? In September, they did another lockdown. Yep. So, all those people that had opened, all those breweries that had opened, closed. Now, some of them didn't. Some people are like, uh uh-uh, uh, I'm You're not, not doing it. Yet. No. And um, so, but we really didn't start a, a nice growth hit until the first of this year. And one of the things that was interesting, and I, you know, I've been pretty much living my life through COVID. My gym didn't close really. Um, several places that I go, like, were air quote closed, but they still operated through the back door, bars and stuff like that. I just lived my life, right? Right. And then, as more and more people and things opened, people were out. So you're you're out and about. You see a lot of people out. I was amazed that when the the governor said on the fifteenth we're opening back up, how many people were out after that? Because I'm like, what have all these people been doing?
0: <laughs> and, and really, there was nothing. There was no announcement to, to be made, right? He just said you can like resume life. Is kind of what he said. He didn't come out with some huge yeah. master. And what surprises you're blessed. You're, you're allowed your to life. go out
2: now. You're yeah, allowed to go exactly. out now. And and what, what surprised me is the amount of people that then went out after that versus yep. before there were people out, but it got, it, things are really crowded now when you go out in town and to the breweries and things like that. Cause yep. number one, a lot of them are, aren't around anymore and more people are going out. And, and so, and then I, it was interesting cause you know, I'm sort of in this, like my unofficial study of behavior and people stopped wearing masks. Like overnight, now it's safe to not wear a mask. Well then when the propaganda started around the Delta variant, now people are wearing masks again. It's not required, but I'm seeing more double mask people out and about than I had forever. And oh, it, it, it just trips me out. Like I, I'm like, okay, do your thing.
1: Yeah. So the, they're doing their thing and you're doing your thing now. Mm-hmm. Where are you at these days?
2: So business is good. The, the dispensary, it, we're, we're growing nicely. Um, I am working on moving it to a better location. The city allows for us to move locations.
1: And and where were you at on your projections and where you are today? Were they?
2: So, my sales today are where I should, where I was projecting to be by month four without COVID. And we were on track for it. So, I am about a year behind sales projections based on their response to COVID. And so, whatever, it sucks. I'm profitable. Um, the valuations are there. I'm Congratulations getting, on that. Thank you. Thank you. The valuations are, are, are just going up. I'm getting offers regularly to, to buy my business, which I don't intend to sell anytime soon. And um, I'm going to move it to increase the value and increase the revenue. That's awesome. And then I'm submitting other. So, so where we are now, we made a decision, and when I say we, Danny Wise Cake Enterprises, we kind of we're different companies, but we're kind of flying in formation together. We're working on some joint projects. We have our individual projects. We'll ultimately merge these businesses together. Um, but we decided after watching what was happening, not only in cannabis but in general business, people were in defensive mode, and we were too for a period of time. Yeah, you had you, to. You have to. You have to go in defensive mode. But it's really comfortable to be in defensive mode, and it's really easy to get stuck there and we made the decision that it was time to attack. And so several months ago we're like, you know what? Fuck this. Let's attack. Let's go after this. Let's go after this. And we just started going after deals. And we're buried in deals now. So we almost attacked too hard because we have acquisition deals in play, we have license applications that were pending, we have licenses that have been awarded, we're raising money for these deals and and so we sort of went from hold the trench to attack and seize ground. And we are attacking and seizing ground in the marketplace now. And we will do that until we decide to stop doing it and
0: sell the business or do something else. Awesome. That's awesome. Uh, So two questions for you, 1A and 1B. 1A is, you know, you and I were talking before this about you know for some reason, I've thought there's been this huge dilution of licenses and everyone is out there able to get one of you know you just gave me some unbelievable stats surrounding like license for marijuana versus like alcohol for instance, and other things uh walk me through that number two is where does the business go from here I mean beyond all of this uh you know the acquisitions you're looking to make federally, right? What's happening? What's the conversations that you're hearing there? And how does that affect your business moving forward, assuming they they lift laws allowing nationwide consumption of this product? So
2: um, the first part of that, I, I hear it all the time from investors. Oh, well, it's easy to get licenses. The, the market's going to be saturated, this and this and this. And I ask them, oh, how many retail dispensaries are operating in the state of California right now? And nobody knows. They all think it's Thousands and thousands and thousands. My license in, in Vista is 620, I think it is, issued. Um, I don't think there is, I don't even think we're at a 1,000 operating dispensaries yet. There's more than in a 1,000 in the state of California. Um, for reference, in the black market days, San Diego County had close to 700 is what they estimate. Operating I- illegal dispensaries. So for reference, some people say there might be that many still in L.A., Work operating so to put the numbers in context then if you talk about everybody parallels liquor stores well liquor stores i don't think there's there's 16 or eighteen thousand liquor stores in the state liquor license in california and those are still hard to get and very valuable assets and they they push money out and so we have years of grinding out licenses and cities allowing it and the, the barrier to entry in cannabis is it's not the state It's the local municipalities. They're allowed to regulate, either ban or upregulate cannabis. And most cities and municipalities in the state banned it outright. And so we all are working to get cities to open up. Now, it is opening up at a faster pace because cities are seeing the revenue. They're seeing the tax revenue. For example, City of Vista made $4 million last year just on the city's measures, the local city tax. Hmm. They, that's a lot of money for a city like Vista to add to their budget. Yep. And so cities see that they're opening it up. So we, we're going after these, you know, diamonds in the rough, these, these like Imperial County, Riverside County, little markets that a lot of people, it's not even on their radar, but you plop a couple of dispensaries in a, in a, in random Riverside County, it, it, that's a $10 million a year business. Boom. And so we're going after those, those assets. We We look at the markets. Where is it? What is the? What do people think about the particular city? But it's not about the city. It's what's, what's the traffic pattern along that route? What's, is it near a major intersection? It, you know, There's a whole checklist that we go through when we strategically decide if we're going after something. Uh, the license that we submitted in Chico today, um, it's an amazing location. It's about a block away from Chico State.
0: Cap, captive audience. Wow. I mean, h- how is that? Grades called? are going to go up significantly.
2: I mean, amazing asset to have, right? <laughs> now, we may not get it. We have a good chance,
1: Yep. but so if now, we don't, we'll go after that. So another. now you're out there raising capital, focused on you know, getting new licenses, maybe making acquisitions of existing. What, what, is the, you know, what is the valuation today if you were to go after a dispensary? So if you want to go buy a dispensary, first of all, l- let's
2: say you're rich guy number seven who wants to get in the cannabis business. Good luck. You, you, the, the game in cannabis now is your network. So you've got to first have deal flow and the deals aren't, most of these deals aren't listed, right? The ones that are listed, there's something wrong with them. Yep. Or, or, or you know, you see a lot of big brands coming in to try to acquire assets. So you've got cookies and um, glass house and all these big groups coming in, uh, MedMen there or, or a version of them trying to come in and do this stuff. A lot of cities don't want to deal with those guys. Um, because it doesn't play in a lot of small markets to send a bunch of corporate suits in with a bunch of money and think that they're going to get anything done. The cities want to deal with real people, people that are going to operate these businesses ethically. Um, they Are we going to contribute to the local city or are we just going to mine them for money? So so that's all part of these selection processes and grading processes. So, you know, we put a strategy together where we're actually going to do that, right? You go in, we 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 set up nonprofits, we contribute to local causes. Um, a lot of cities are worried about anti-diversion. How do we keep this product out of the hands that aren't supposed to have it? Yeah. Well, guess what? We're concerned about that, too. Nobody wants with, with a legal cannabis business wants minors coming in and buying cannabis. Multiple checks and balances, both state and local, that, that prohibit that. Um, so, so we kind of come at it from that approach and and, and go after these assets. And we're do, again, we're doing acquisitions now, and we're doing uh, straight-up licenses organic growth. And then, uh, and moving the ones we have to better spots.
1: So, so what happens when this is federally deregulated? You know, I think that's when the suits may have a shot at this, right? So, and what exactly. happens? It
2: won't change that climate. It, it's still just because pharma executive one, two, three in a boardroom says, I want to own the cannabis market in Northern California, here's a billion dollars. That's not going to happen because pharma lawyer number 10 walking into, say, Lompoc. He's not getting anywhere. But people like me and the guys I work with, we've been, we understand what we're doing. We know how to go in there. We're, again, we're normal people. We're veterans. You know, we have these programs in our dispensaries where we provide cannabis products to people that can't afford it, Compassion care programs, things like that. My shop in Vista, um, we, have the, the, we have 20% off if you're a veteran. That's one of the highest veterans discounts around. And regulated legal cannabis is expensive. primarily do the tax structures and all all the taxes involved so we do a lot of stuff like that to help people get get cannabis that can't really afford it
0: but you were talking about how like if 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 congress tomorrow votes to you know deschedule if they made deregulate cannabis that's a huge windfall for you because a lot of their states aren't set up like California's like the like the like the dispensaries are here to be active right immediately. So so the most likely path would
2: be some sort of a descheduling, moving cannabis from schedule one to schedule two or schedule three and regulate it via the FDA. And what we would hope is gonna happen and most people think is going to happen is they're just gonna take away the federal prohibition. They'll probably tax some taxes in there just because why not? And then they'll leave it up to the states. So some of the states that have bans still will probably yep. have bans. Yep. The states that don't have bans, though, will be opened for us to transact over state line, particularly Got from it. my cultivation side. So as I spin up my cultivation licenses, um, we would then be able to sell our brands and our products into other states. Right now, you cannot move cannabis products over state line. That is federal trafficking. So a a grower in California cannot sell to even a legal market in Arizona or Nevada. But once you cross that state line, you're federally trafficking a a drug, so to speak, 10 years in jail. So no one's one's doing that. But when they deschedule it and move it from that level, there'll be mechanisms to transact that way. Um, I think that'll just increase the valuations of the businesses. You'll have way more access to capital. Uh, Banking will be easier. Like, for example... We can only take cash in our store. I have ATM machines there, yeah. but no credit card transactions.
0: Isn't that crazy? Yeah. That's ridiculous. Most
2: banks won't deal with you. I, I actually do have a bank that allows it. Um, it's an out-of-state credit union. Um, so I'm lucky enough that I have armored cars, pick up my cash, deposit it. I operate my business like a normal business. I have normal payroll. I pay with checks. A lot of guys can't qualify for those bank accounts. It took me about four months to get vetted to allow me to open that bank account. And a lot That's of guys crazy. can't do that. It is really interesting. So you got these guys, a vendor comes in, they made them 20K invoice or something. They're counting out 20K and paying cash. They're paying their payroll with cash. Like the cost of that and the overhead and the risk of that is substantial. Absolutely. And most cannabis businesses in the country and legal states operate that way.
1: So, so what is your uh, five-year vision of coastal wellness?
2: So coastal, where, where my businesses will be in five years, I, my guess is I'll probably be looking at a two to $300 million valuation, probably be doing top line, oh, what am I going to be at? I'll be at one, two, maybe a 70, 80 million revenue. Across how many dispensaries you think? At least four. And then my cultivation would be another $70, $80 million top line. And then whatever the valuation models are, I think conservatively it'll be in the multi-hundreds of millions. What are your biggest threats facing your industry right now? The political favor of cannabis switches and they start, oh, this little kid died of a cannabis overdose. True or not, they'll make a story up about it, Right. So so like they did with vape, remember VapeGate and the, the whole vaping crisis a yep. couple years ago? Anybody worried about that today? Have you heard about that lately? Did you hear about it 24-7 in the news for about a month or two? You did. Yep. Basically, they decimated the vaping industry, both nicotine vaping and cannabis vaping. Said they were going to pass a bunch of rules, make all these changes. None of that ever happened. The sales are back now, by the way. Yep. No, one, no one's dropping dead from vape either so my worry is the political winds will shift and we become a target again yep and they target us politically and when you have the political talking points and the media in lockstep with those talking points it's you, you can't escape it so I we, we think we talk about that stuff often like what if this happens what if they get us with a cannabis gate? What if they, you know, how how do we maneuver around this? Um, so that, to me, is one of the biggest issues. Unlikely well, to happen, I think, because the revenue that we're generating for these municipalities. Yeah, yeah, the tax. Yeah. But it is a threat. And i, I that's something I worry about.
1: Well, I hope that doesn't happen. Me too. Um, <laughs> as As you just go through this, you know, think back to grinding it out and spending 15 hours a day in the store, and even even making the decision to do it, raise the money, even though you had no license, like, why did you do it?
2: I did it because I thought I could do it, and I wanted to do it. I thought it would be an interesting little endeavor, and it's a great adrenaline rush, right? When you take a risk, you know, I got a lot of adrenaline, did a lot of aden- adrenaline tracing in my 20s, like in the military and stuff like that. Well, what happens if you're familiar with adrenaline chasing activities, it becomes harder and harder to get that hit Well, putting your entire financial, um, <laughs> net worth and other people's money at risk is a pretty big adrenaline, like totally hit. Right. And so, it, it, and I can be a deal junkie, right? Like I get so wired when I'm in the middle of some of these deals cause it's fun. And then, you know, there's the win of it or then the loss of it if it if it doesn't go right. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Which is where the adrenaline comes yeah. from.
2: Yes. And so I mean, I enjoy that. And um, I I will be out of this though. I, I will exit this business in two to four years, depending on the climate. Like I this isn't I mean, the pace I operate now is not sustainable long term for me, right? Um, it's fun now, but I will exit the business in in probably 24. 36 months I'm thinking if our tempo
1: now you you will have had enough adrenaline for uh...
2: no I'll do something else what I'll do is take a bunch of money off the table that way I don't have to worry about that piece of it and then consult
1: or maybe Um, imagine the adrenaline rush when you put all that on the line
2: that won't happen. <laughs> I say that now. I yeah, say right. that now. Yeah. And you get, the, you and get
0: the money and then you go, you go I've got to, I've got to make money with this money now.
2: Yeah. 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 Let me go start a mushroom business because we all know that's coming, right? The, yeah. the, the psilocybin.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The magic eight ball <laughs> the magic, yeah, mush, has mushrooms. <laughs> That'll be the,
2: next, uh, the next blue ocean. Yeah. Um, yeah. Who knows? I mean, it's, right now like i, I you know we're, i'm pretty tactical with all these deals in play but i'm always i always try to take a minute and set back i have this giant whiteboard in my office so i've got all this stuff so i like to take a sit back and be like okay is this all this tactics aligning with my strategy yep. of sell it make it and how and where and then how do you fund it yeah right access to capital like i told you earlier if if i had a hundred million dollars in the bank i'd I'd turn it into a billion, two billion in two years. No problem. With the deal flow that we have, some of these deals we have in our pipeline, we probably won't get done because they're, they're a little bit risky for some investors. Yep. Um, they're not risky, actually. They're, they're very, very good deals. But to an external investor, you it's You just can't look, get the
0: capital to- It's going to look,
2: yeah. Yep. And, and so we do what we can do with what we raise. And tomorrow, if I never raise another penny, doesn't matter, we're set. Like it would just, we, you know, we would have a fixed growth rate. You know, and I'm going to switch how I how I do this now, like how I raise what we're starting to do now, both in cake and in my business is so we, we, we put a little money in the in the, the corporate, the Green Venture Farms, which is my corporate shell. Um, but we're going to fund most of these deals at the deal level. So I'm going to go out to high net worth individual two and say, hey, do you want 20 percent of the dispensary? It's two million bucks. We use that money to fund everything the buildings, the work, everything. And then, you know, high net worth individual gets to say, hey, you know, I own a big chunk of, you know, coastal wellness, whatever city.
1: Makes it sound super cool
2: And at dinner. That matters. Yeah. It absolutely matters. And it, it's a fun thing to be in.
0: So it's like treated as like uh, SPVs, like special purpose vehicles, exactly. right? So you got the, 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 the parent company up top, mm-hmm. a bunch of silos down to SPVs, different locations, mm-hmm. all funded by individual investors that have yep. a piece all while the parent company owns percentage of each one of those coming down. Absolutely. Look yeah. at how far the uh, weed industry has come. There you go.
2: We're using big words like special purpose vehicles now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you only get to use that word if you deserve it.
2: <laughs> exactly. So, no, but it's a lot of fun, and, and, and it's changing quickly, right? So the, the pace yeah. of, these, of this business is, you know, it's, it's moving quick. And, you know, there's a lot of people moving into position and moving pieces. A lot of people exiting now because they just don't have the stomach for it. Yep. And I get it because some days, like, you're like, what am I doing? Yep. Why did I do this? This is miserable. And then about five minutes later, I'm like,
0: let's go. Nothing is easy. And that's why this is called the Hard Work Podcast. Amen. Because everything is fucking hard across the board. Nothing comes simple. That is true. How long did you think this would take to get to this point?
2: When I started this, I thought I was going to be a billionaire by like two years later, and I'm about four and a half years into this.
1: How far out from your billionaire status?
2: I'm way out there. I'm not even, <laughs> I'm not even on the map yet. No, no. I, I did. I did think it was going to be a, a much faster process. It took me a year to a year and a half to get Oceanside to allow for the rules. It took us a year in Vista. Then execution takes a year or two. And not it, camping
1: and it, on the. City not, hall,
2: yeah, city, yeah. You're camping in the city hall, or or literally in me one night in my dispensary building. Tables
1: that wasn't in your business plan when you uh, walked the investors through it.
2: No, that was not part of the plan. Um, lawsuits, you know, like the city passed Oceanside got the ordinance done. They issued the license, and then someone sued them, right? Because they said it was improper issuance of licenses, and you know, so that t- litigation stops the whole process for seven eight months. So you know, just stuff like that happens. And it, you you expect it, but whatever. I mean, some cities now, like Danny's got a thing up in, in Fairfield where... So they had two applications in Fairfield. They, they scored them all with a, a third-party outside source. In theory, they're going to issue to the top-scoring applications, of which his two were in the top-scoring. Yep. Um, Last-second council, we're going to make a council decision in closed session. And they literally did a closed session no optics they went in and issued five licenses to completely people that weren't even in the top ten wow okay so you don't think there's going to be there's now there's they're getting buried in litigation for that sure because you know it's like here's the process everybody invests a lot of money i mean some people buy buildings like they actually go in and buy buildings on spec and then the city changes the process
1: so the playbook is the playbook until you throw it out and then you have to get a new and playbook? And cities do that. Like, what, what
2: I've, one of the things I've learned is, and if people haven't figured it out during the COVID response, they need to pay better attention. I learned it in the cannabis piece. The cities can do whatever the fuck they want to do. And yeah, you can sue them. Good luck. Good luck. Good luck. That, How yeah, much money? Yeah, they, they're, they're defending with, with the taxpayer money, which is basically unlimited to them in reality they get unlimited funds to litigate against you we all have limited resources so oh man and they can just wait you out they can just they can stretch it out as long as they want that's right so you can't litigate it and i didn't realize that when i started this i'm like well let's just sue them they totally violated with it yeah good luck with that
0: better to be
1: friend than foe yes oh man all right You, you have any uh wisdom for the listeners out there As as they go through looking at either opening a business or they're dealing with their business day to day and and suffering through it, any words of wisdom? So starting
2: a business or or doing what we've all done here is a gut check. And if you've ever quit at anything else, like if you quit at something in your life, like you were on this team and it was just too hard and like you just couldn't do it, so you quit and made a a thousand excuses of why you quit that made a lot of sense to you, don't start a business because this is going to be the gut check of all gut checks for you financially you're going to work harder than you've ever worked and you're going to make less money or no money for a long time Uh, and but if 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 you think that you can take losing everything um working 18 hours a day like no days off like some some days you know how it is like sometimes you don't you work for weeks and you're always working with the phones now right you're always on your phone then don't do it just work for somebody it it's way easier and people there's jobs out people make a lot of money working for somebody if you want to make money there's ways to make a lot of money without doing what we all do
1: but how much fun are you having
2: oh it's it's a blast (laughs) it's a fucking blast
1: love it yeah
2: great a lot of gray hair comes with that though
1: oh yeah it looks good on you you look you look very wise thank you thank you it it makes it easier to raise money with that gray hair
2: yeah that people think i know what i'm doing
0: awesome so where where can people find you really quick
2: Oh, wow, okay. Um,
0: no, 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 your business.
2: Oh, Coastal Wellness Dispensary, Vista, California. And what's your website? Coastal Dispensary,
1: California, I think. Just uh, Google yeah. it, it'll come up. I All should right. know that. Yeah. I should know yeah, yeah, that. Yeah. And for you old school <laughs> folks, go to Weedmaps. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, yeah, hey, if you were smoking weed 10 years ago, we are on Weedmaps in Vista as well. But, you know, Google will get you right there. Nice pictures of everything in the shop. Actually, I think we have, like, 3D tours and everything like this. Awesome.
1: I love it. Thanks, guys. Oh, man, that was a blast. What a cool story. That sounds like a ton of work and a ton of nerve wracking nights. Totally worth it. Always. Thanks for coming in, man. Thanks All right. Guys. Appreciate cool. it. Cool. See yeah. you.